Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Our scripture comes from Romans 12, and we'll be doing verses 9 to 21 together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal and be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, um, what a hard passage to, to hear, um, to bless those who persecute us, to associate with the lowly, and to never take revenge ourselves. Um, God, it is a challenging call for us, and I pray that you would give us your spirit um, to not be crushed by how we do not meet these calls, but Lord, that we would hold out the goodness of Christ, who fulfills each of these calls himself and has overcome evil with the greatest good by paying for our sins on the cross. We pray that you would um, show us, God, that you would soften our hearts and our ears to accept um, this challenge to believers to to let love be genuine and, Lord, to trust that you um, are working good in us to follow these, um, these commands that you have given. So, Lord, we thank you for your word today. Be with Joel as he preaches. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have uh, ever uh, seen a commercial for a fast food restaurant or for a fast casual place, it's uh, unlikely that the food that you see in the advertisement 
matches uh, what you actually get handed to you. Uh, my sense is that when, uh, you know, they go to set up the photo shoot uh, for uh, the food, they don't just pick a random uh, location and go through the drive through and then open the bag and then, like, take a picture with a phone and then upload it. There are people called food stylists. And food stylist's job, what they do for a living, is to take the ingredients and to place it together in such an appealing and appetizing way that when you see it, it triggers something in your brain. And you're like, wow, look at just how neat that cheese is layered on there, or how uh, juicy that burger looks, or uh, how crisp that lettuce and onions, and they're just layered just right with the ketchup and mustard just blended perfectly together. I mean, the color, it just pops. The reason for that is because there's been someone who's been paid thousands of dollars to spend hours of time putting that together in a very careful way with all sorts of very expensive equipment to capture this one snapshot. So is this what you see when you drive through and open up your bag? Is this a glimpse of what you get? Very, very unlikely. This gap that exists between uh, what someone can do when they have all the time in the world to create and capture just one moment, as opposed to the real world reality of a busy lunchtime crowd with order after order pinging in with uh, an assembly line of people rushing, likely sweating, doing everything they can to get these orders together to get in the hands of hungry people. The gap between this idealized moment uh, and the real world life of food preparation that is the reason why the burgers you see on the advertisements are not what you get in your bag. And when we talk about love, whether that is the shows that you watch, the music that you listen to, the books that you read, my fear is that so many of you, when you see and read about love, what you are getting is a virtue stylist's work where all of the circumstances can be crafted together in just the right moment with the sun on the horizon and a picturesque day just in the right place and then uh, how the people feel just in that snapshot of time. And then that's presented to you as here's love. The Apostle Paul recognizes that there is a gap between idealized pictures of love and what love actually looks like lived day in and day out in the grind of life. With the messiness of relationships, the pressures that we face, we are often not at our best moments when we're called to love. And that's a type of virtue gap that existed not only when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans to help them understand what it looks like to love as a community, but that gap continues to exist today. So that most people, when you ask them what is love, their first thought is uh, emotion and uh, the height of emotion. Paul is meeting you here this morning in this God-given letter 
about how he, the creator God who's working in our world, calls us to love one another in the real world. And it has very little to do with emotion and has everything to do with principled, sacrificial action. Love as a Christian involves the tiny decisions that we make when we're tired or when we're struggling, when we can choose how we're going to respond to someone else, whether that is a family member, whether that's a neighbor, even whether that's our enemy. Paul is writing to press in to say those are real world options to love. And he's calling us as a whole community as we interact with one another, as we think about engaging our neighbors to not love in the way in which a virtue stylist would craft it, right, in this real idealized type of way, but to nourish the souls of others with sacrificial, enemy-seeking, caring and giving kind of love. That's what he's talking about in this letter in chapter 12. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in two points. Love explained and love exhibited. So a little bit of context may be helpful because Romans is a long and dense letter. We've had a few different sermons from the letter to the Romans. We looked at Romans 5 and Romans 8. And I think some context could be helpful as we roll into this section on love. Uh, So in chapter 1... Paul is unpacking what the gospel is. It is the power of God working out in our world. So the God who has created the world is actively redeeming the world by his power. It's a God-initiated, God-accomplished redemption. And in chapters 2 and 3, Paul transitions to say, and it's a redemption that all of us need, everybody needs. There's a grim reality that we face Sin has impacted our lives. It's how we can do a corporate confession of sin each week because we know that everyone who comes into our doors are sinners. Uh, Not because we know all of the details of your lives. Of course we don't. But because we know you're a human being. (laughs) And whether you have turned in faith to Jesus or not, you are faced with the grim reality of sin. That's what Adam and Eve have to do with the Christian story. And Paul covers that in Romans chapter 5. That gives us way in that section of Romans 5 through 8 of presenting how we are delivered from that grim reality through Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, we are united together to Jesus Mystically, spiritually speaking, we have a new identity. We are represented by him. God can look at us and declare, you are justified. You are right in my sight. God adopts us into his family as daughters and as sons. God commits himself by pouring out his spirit into our lives that we may grow and mature. That we, uh, the theological term for that is that we may be sanctified set apart for God's purposes, growing up to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the complex beauty that Paul describes in Romans 8. 
So all of these incredible and powerful theological concepts are being unpacked, giving us a sense of just what God has done in creation, how sin has really, really messed that up, but how God is committed to you even this morning through his work in redemption. And so we get then to chapter 12, where Paul is going to start unpacking what it looks like for us as a community to live in light of God's redemption. How would that impact how life looks like for us? And Paul is going to start off this section in Romans 12 saying, genuine love. That's what it looks like. Love one another. If you take a look at the front of your worship guide, there is uh, a little logo there of a cross. And it's a cross put together with different mosaic pieces. Those pieces are different colors, uh, different sizes, uh, but they're, they're put together to give you this sense of coherent whole. And what Paul is doing in this section that Michelle read, Romans chapter 12, verses 9, down through verse 21, is Paul has put together, it reads really fast, uh, and it's not, it's almost like this stream of connected thoughts. Paul is putting together a mosaic of injunctives and infinitives and participles that he is forming together. So he's using these these various grammatical aspects to frame up for us, to give us a coherent picture of genuine love. He wants to meet us where that gap exists, where we may tend to think about love as an emotional high or as a particular moment, a romantic moment uh, at the height of a particular relationship, Paul wants to meet us there and introduce us to this mosaic of genuine love that involves things like interacting with people who aren't like us, that involves engaging our neighbors and even our enemies in an unexpected fashion, that involves how we think about how we use our time and our gifts, where we put our money, and how we engage our world. The Anglican uh, theologian J.I. Packer, uh, he wrote a number of books, actually lots of them. Most of them are all really, really good, just kind of hard. So if you want to challenge yourself, go pick up a J.I. Packer book. Start with Knowing God. Uh, really good, really dense. Uh, he talks about love in one of his books on theology, and he says, uh, Love is a principle of action rather than an emotion. It's a principle of action rather than an emotion. And I think he's capturing well how the Bible itself unfolds and explains to you what love is. Think for a second about just some of the Old and New Testament connections to how we should think about love. Love is patterned after God's character and work. In the New Testament, we're told that God himself is love. We're told to love because God first loved us. It's these directives to guide how we think about and explain and unpack what love is to us. So how do we know love? We turn to God's character And how he responds to and treats his people. 
How do we know love? We can follow God's pattern of example because God's love. And so however God acts, it's in line with his character of love. Love is described as a basic of Christian life. In the Gospel of Matthew, late, like in chapter 25, Jesus is interacting with someone and they come to him and they say, can you summarize all the law? That's much of all of what's written in the Old Testament. Jesus, can you summarize all of that? Jesus, in order to summarize all of the law, effectively says it boils down to two commandments. Love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm almost certain that Jesus didn't mean by that experience the height of emotion, but rather, as Packer puts it, he's talking about principled action. Go through life as if you love God with all of who you are and make decisions when you engage others, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, in a way that treats and cares and loves and responds to them in the way that you yourself would want to be responded to. This, Jesus says, is what love looks like in action, and it summarizes the entire law. Then finally, when someone wants to know, well, could you give us an example, Jesus, of what it looks like to love our neighbor? Jesus gives them this parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, right? He gives them a glimpse of not a lot about the feeling, but about a set of circumstances and how a Samaritan man responded to someone who was hurt, someone who was other someone who he didn't have a lot in common with. And the litmus test of whether he loved that person wasn't how he felt when he came upon him, but rather how he responded in that set of actions. And so these are just glimpses. There's almost too many examples to unpack love, but I hope that you're getting a glimpse that the way that the Bible talks about love is not defined often the way you will hear and watch and see love defined around us, but it is immediately connected to God's character and to how God is working in our world. The epitome of love, the New Testament tells us, is that a father would see people in need, dead even, in their sin. And that he would send his son to take on human flesh in order to deliver you and me. The work of Jesus is the epitome of what it means to love. Jesus didn't owe us anything. The son of God humbling himself, giving of himself, entered into our world to the point of death for you and me. Not because he owed us one, not because he expected to get something back from us in some sort of quid pro quo, but out of love for us. And he invites us in to his family through that love. That's what love looks like. You could do far worse When you think of any given situation in your life, you say, what does that love look like here? You could do, try to check your impulse to go to a cultural reference and instead think, how has God loved me in Jesus? What does that look like played out? And then you, you hit closer upon just what it looks like for an explanation of love. 
In chapter 12, Paul is not only explaining what love means for us, but he's giving us some exhibitions. And the way to look at love exhibited, it seems to me that in verses 9 through 13, he's talking about love toward other Christians, kind of inside the community. And then in verse 14, I think there's a flip where he's talking about love toward our neighbors, love to those outside our community. And part of the key in opening this up inside and outside the community is that we're called to love everyone. There aren't people who you get exempted from loving. Uh, Definitely, you don't have the option as a Christian to just love the people who love you. You don't have an option as a Christian to say, well, I'm going to love the people who are really going to help me in life, but all those other people, eh, I hope they're all right. That's not how love works in the Christian faith, that we're called to love not only those who love us, but those who don't any who we come into contact with. And so that love exhibited inside the community looks like, in verse 9, abhorring evil and holding fast to good. Quick side note, how do you know evil from good? Go to the character of God and to what he says in Scripture. That's how you know. So if you go, okay, I want to love other people. I should hold on to the good and abhor evil. Well, how do I know what's good and how do I know what's evil? Answer, read the Bible or at least start there. Okay, got it? That's, that's where Paul is headed with this. In verse 10, brotherly and sisterly affection for one another, showing honor for the people in our community, caring for them. Verse 11, not being slothful in zeal, not being lazy when there's an opportunity. You know, when you see something that needs to be done, and you're like, and someone's like, hey, uh, could you take care of that? And then you're like, uh, okay. And uh, then you slowly move over. Paul saying love is not being slothful, but being zealous for doing the right stuff, responding to others, serving the Lord. In verse 12, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Notice the varying circumstances. Love isn't something that just gets employed. When life is good. And then when life is not good, then it's a time to switch and do something else other than love. Love is there in good times when you can rejoice and in bad times. Even in persecution, Christians are called to love, to pray, to be patient. In verse 13, to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Contributing and hospitality. Opening up your life to other people. Giving of yourselves to others. That's what's going on here. In verse 14, there's a flip. Love exhibited outside to the community. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and don't curse them. In verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What fantastic advice as a Christian when you're struggling to respond in a particular situation, how should I respond to this set of circumstances in my life? Paul's rule of thumb for loving your neighbor, your coworker, the people around you is that when people are in the midst of hardship, when they're on their way to a funeral or a hospital, weep with them. Come alongside them. When they're on their way to a party or to a wedding and they invite you, go celebrate with them. Have a good time. 
have some range when it comes to connecting with your neighbors. It's great just kind of thumbnail advice for almost any circumstance when you go, oh, what does it look like for a Christian to respond to the world around me? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who weep is a good starting point. Live in harmony with one another in verse 16. Do not be haughty. Don't be better than. When you engage with someone, don't do the quick social calculation of, can this person help me get where I want to go? And if so, pay attention, dial in, be well-liked. If not, move on. Look over their shoulder. Find the next person I should engage with. That's haughtiness. That's self-centeredness. That's not love. Paul's saying, listen, when you are engaging with others, regardless of their status, don't be conceited. Associate with the lowly. Give of yourself. You want to know if we're a loving community? Don't gauge how people feel emotionally in any one moment. See how our community responds to someone on the margins who comes in and joins us on a Sunday morning or arrives at our home for a community group. See how people respond. And that's not targeted in anyone. That's just the rubber meets the road reality of knowing are we truly a loving community? Are we genuinely loving other people? Do we know what love means as it's explained in the Gospels? And do we exhibit it in our day-to-day lives? That's Paul's challenge to us. I'll leave uh, don't repay evil for evil, vengeance is mine for Q&A. How about that? Uh, Fire away in Q&A if you want to talk more about that. God has loved us, friends. And he invites us into his family. He's demonstrated his love to us at great cost. And for those of us who've turned in faith to Jesus, he calls us to follow in his footsteps, to live in line with God's character, and to love one another for the sake of Jesus. That's what it looks like to live as a Christian. Not as uh, the pursuit of some emotional state. Not because we're trying to work our way in. That's not how God's grace works. We're in. We're saved. We're delivered. We're redeemed. We're adopted. And now... God calls us, each of us, in the day in and day out of our lives to love one another in light of that reality and to love our neighbors. So that if they ask why, why would you do this? Why would you respond with kindness when I've been harsh to you? The Christian response, not in an arrogant or triumphalistic way, is this is the way God has loved me in Jesus. And this is the way God calls me to love you, empowered by spirit. This is just what it means to be a Christian in the 21st century, living day in and day out in light of the reality of God's love and trying to put that love into action toward one another. Let's do that this week. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us and give us strength. It does feel like a challenging thing to love our enemies, to be humble, to give of ourselves. 
How could we ever meet that task? God, I pray that we will be motivated not to uh, achieve acceptance by you through that route, but rather to recognize your grace and love to us in Jesus and of the overflow of our joy and worship to love one another. Help us to be faithful to that end, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.